and welcome to the Michigan Murders. I'm Laura. And I'm Stephanie. And welcome to the final episode of Midwest March Madness. <laughs> it's been a long march. <laughs> it definitely has. There's uh, quite the variety of murders that happen in the Midwest. Absolutely. All different types. Yeah. And the one I'm doing tonight is a kind of a major bummer from history. So, you know. <laughs> well, I've got a pick-me-up for the ending. So, let's hear it. Yeah. I'm I'm glad you do. Because. <laughs> Today, I'm going to talk about the Dakota War of 1862 and the Mankato 38. Uh, as a disclaimer, I got... A lot of this information from Wikipedia. So if I get anything wrong, I'm sorry. (laughs) I first heard about this actually when I was on a trip to Mankato and someone from the area told the group that I was with about this. Um, Oh, wow. They are. Actually, I don't know if she is. I know her husband is a member of the Santee Sioux tribe from the area so it was really interesting to hear about it and learn about it from people who have a history with it but also really sad and disappointing because the story this story is an example of why as a tribal member you have issues trusting the government long histories of terrible things done by the u.s government to native people Absolutely appalling things. Yeah. And being one myself, not from, you know, Minnesota, but as a native from Michigan, you hear a lot about what happened and it's just awful. But if you want to hear a, a, a terrible native joke, <laughs> um, do you ever hear why natives don't trust snow? Why? Because it's widened on our land. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Terrible, but true. I get it. Yeah. (laughs) Terrible. But I found it so funny the first time I ever heard that. I was just cracking up. So that's the last funny thing we're going to hear from me. (laughs) Probably. True. But don't worry. Don't worry. I've got 22 funny things to tell you in the end. So stay ready. Oh, okay. Here we go. The Dakota War of 1862 also known as the Sioux Uprising, the Dakota Uprising, the Sioux Outbreak of 1862, the Dakota Conflict, the U.S.-Dakota War of 1862, or Little Crow's War, a lot of names there, was a conflict between the United States and bands of the Eastern Dakota known as the Santee Sioux. It began at the Lower Sioux Agency along the Minnesota River in southwest Minnesota on August 18, 1862. So here's the part where I give you background. The Eastern Dakota were pressured into signing treaties in 1837, 1851, and 1858, ceding large areas of land to the United States in exchange for cash annuities, debt payments, and other provisions. All four bands of Eastern Dakota, particularly the Midwakanton, one of the sub-tribes of the Santee Sioux were moved to a reservation that was 20 miles wide with the Minnesota River running through the middle. And just think about, you might think, oh, 20 miles. 
that's big. They had all that land. Like, all of that area in Minnesota, they were free to roam and weren't restricted. So this was yeah, a, probably a big blow to people who, you know, were used to having that space. When Minnesota became a state in 1858, representatives of several Dakota bands led by Midwakanton chief Little Crow traveled to Washington to negotiate enforcing existing treaties. Instead, they lost the northern half of the reservation along the Minnesota River. This was a major blow to the standing of Little Crow in the Dakota community and to the community itself, because not only were they moved and told, here's your 20 miles, now they're saying, just kidding, you only get 10. So they just keep restricting what land they lived on more and more. The land was divided into townships and plots for settlement. Logging and agriculture on these plots destroyed surrounding forests and prairies, which interrupted the Dakota's annual cycles for farming, hunting, fishing, and gathering wild rice. The wild games, such as bison, elk, deer, and bear, was dramatically reduced because of hunting by settlers. Not only did this decrease the game available for survival of the Dakota in that area of Minnesota, but it affected their ability to sell furs to traders for additional supplies. Although payments were guaranteed, the U.S. government was two months behind on both money and food owed to the people because of the start of the Civil War. Most land in the River Valley was not usable, and hunting on its own could not support the Dakota community. The Dakota became understandably dissatisfied over the losses of their land, non-payment of annuities, broken treaties, food shortages, and famine following crop failure. These people were getting shat on by the government constantly. And this story doesn't even take into account boarding schools, which is a whole other atrocity forced on Native people. On January 1st, 1862, George E.H. Day, Special Commissioner on Dakota Affairs, wrote a letter to President Lincoln. Part of the letter said, I have discovered numerous violations of law and many frauds committed by past agents and a superintendent. I think I can establish frauds to the amount from twenty to $100,000 and satisfy any reasonable, intelligent man that the Indians whom I visited in this state in Wisconsin have been defrauded of more than $100,000 in or during the four years past. The superintendent, Major Cullen alone, has saved, as all his friends say, more than $100,000 in four years out of a salary of $2,000 a year. And all the agents whose salaries are at $1,500 a year have become rich. Day also accused Superintendent of Indian Affairs for the Northern Superintendency, Clark Wallace Thompson, of fraud. Wow. These people aren't getting their money. Meanwhile, the uh, Indian Affairs agents are raking it in. So they're taking what should have gone to the people. Oh, of course. U.S. agents had encouraged the Dakota to become farmers rather than continue their hunting traditions. Meanwhile, the population in Minnesota Territory grew from 6,077 in 1850 to 172,072 in 1860. And I I did the math. That's over a 
2,700% increase in 10 years' time. Wow. In 1861, a crop failure followed by harsh winter along with poor hunting due to depletion of wild game by settlers led to starvation and hardship for the Dakota people. In the summer of 1862, tensions grew between the Dakota, the traders, and Indian agents because the Indian agents were late with the U.S. government annuity payments owed to the Dakota. Traders refused to extend credit for food, partially because they suspected the payments might not come at all due to the Civil War that began in April. On August 4, 1862, representatives of the Northern Sisseton and Wapiton Dakota Bands met at the Upper Sioux Agency in the northwestern part of the reservation and successfully negotiated to obtain food. When two other bands of the Dakota, the Southern Midwakanton and the... I tried to spell this out phonetically, but I might get this wrong. Wapekute? It could be completely wrong, so sorry. Mm-hmm. Turned to the Lower Sioux Agency for supplies on August 15, 1862, they were rejected. Indian agent and Minnesota State Senator Thomas Galbraith managed the area and would not distribute food without payment. A meeting was held between the Dakota, the U.S. government, and local traders. The Dakota representatives asked Andrew Jackson Merrick, the representative of the government traders. I think I messed something up in the script. <laughs> but essentially, they asked Merrick for food on credit. And disgustingly, his response was said to be, so far as I am concerned, if they are hungry, let them eat grass or their own dung. My God. Yeah. Historically, there is no exact record of if that's what was said, but that was the context. Essentially, it wasn't good. And either way, the effect of Merrick's statement on Little Crow and his band was clear. Little Crow said it was a major reason for commencing war in a letter to General Sibley. So, Dear sir, for what reason we have commenced this war, I will tell you. It is on account of Major Galbraith. We made a treaty with the government for what little do we get and then can't get it till our children was dying with hunger. It is with the traders that commence. Mr. Andrew J. Merrick told the Indians that they would eat grass or their own dung. On August 16, 1862, the treaty payments to the Dakota arrived in St. Paul, Minnesota, and were brought to Fort Ridgely the next day, but they arrived too late to prevent violence. On August 17, 1862, four young Native men killed five white settlers in Acton, Minnesota. A group led by Chief Little Crow attacked the Lower Sioux Agency to try to drive all settlers out of the Minnesota River Valley. Andrew Merrick was among the first who was killed. The story goes that Merrick's decapitated head was found with grass stuffed in his mouth in retaliation for Merrick saying, let them eat grass, when asked if he was willing to extend credit to the Dakota when the government annuity payments were late. I should not find that funny, but I know it's it's terrible to laugh, but I'm like, "Eh." I mean, that's. A whole nother level of petty that I appreciate. Yeah. It's like, oh, we can eat grass, sir. <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah. Sorry. Not funny, but funny. Yeah, it's a whole, th- whole thing's not good. In the following weeks, Dakota warriors attacked and killed hundreds of settlers, causing thousands to flee the area 
and took hundreds of mixed blood and white hostages, almost all of them women and children. The Civil War effort slowed the response of the government, but on September 23, 1862, an army of volunteer infantry, artillery, and citizen militia assembled by Governor Alexander Ramsey and led by Colonel Henry Hastings Sibley defeated Little Crow at the Battle of Wood Lake. And there were a, there was a lot of this I cut out because there's a lot with all the different battles and skirmishes or whatever you want to call them. So that it would right. be a lot to get into. So there's a lot of this that's missing because I was trying to get mm-hmm. to the, the point so this wouldn't be too long. By the time the Dakota War was over, 358 settlers, 77 soldiers, and 29 volunteer militia had been killed. But the total number of Dakota casualties is unknown. On September 26, 1862, 269 mixed blood and white hostages were released to Sibley's troops at Camp Release. About 2,000 Dakota surrendered or were taken into custody, including at least 1,658 non-combatants, as well as those who opposed the war and helped to free the hostages. So even though they weren't involved and had helped to free these people, they were still taken into custody. Of course, they were absolutely disgusting. Simply because they were native and they just wanted to group everybody together. Meanwhile, Little Crow and a group of 150 to 250 followers fled to the northern plains of Dakota Territory in Canada. Historian Mary Wingard has said that it is a complete myth that all the Dakota people went to war against the United States, and that it was instead a faction that went on the offensive. Her estimate is that fewer than 1,000 men out of a population of more than 7,000 Dakota were involved in the Sioux Uprising. One year later, the Judge Advocate General determined that, because of his prejudice, Sibley did not have the authority to convene trials of the Dakota and that his actions had violated Article 65 of the United States Articles of War. However, by then, executions had already occurred. Oh, my God. Yeah, this makes it even worse. In less than six weeks, a military commission from the Minnesota Volunteer Infantry had sentenced 303 Dakota men to death. The trials themselves were not conducted according to military law. The trials for over 400 men began on September 28, 1862, and were completed by November 3rd. Some trials lasted less than five minutes. The Dakota were not represented by defense attorneys, and no one explained what was going on to the defendants. By November 7th, the verdicts were in, and the military commission declared 303 Dakota prisoners had been convicted of murder and rape and were sentenced to death. Legal history scholar Carol Chomsey wrote in the Stanford Law Review, The Dakota were tried, not in a state or federal criminal court, but before a military commission composed completely of Minnesota settlers. They were convicted, not for the crime of murder, but for killings committed in warfare. The official review was conducted, not by an appellate court, but by the President of the United States. Many wars took place between Americans and members of the Indian nations, But in no others did the United States apply criminal sanctions to punish those defeated in war. 
President Abraham Lincoln completed his review of the transcripts of the 303 trials with the help of two White House lawyers in under a month. And this is all during the Civil War, remember? So a lot of other stuff was going on. President Lincoln reviewed the convictions and approved death sentences for 39 out of the 303. At 10 a.m. on December 26, 1862, 38 men were hanged in Mankato, Minnesota, and was the largest one-day mass execution in American history. One man was given a reprieve after General Sibley telegraphed Lincoln that new information led him to doubt the man's guilt. An estimated 4,000 spectators had crammed the streets of Mankato and the surrounding land to watch the executions. The executions were done on a square platform with 10 nooses per side, with a floor that dropped from under the condemned. After they were pronounced dead, they were buried in mass in an unfrozen sandbar of the Minnesota River. To make it somehow more horrifying, several doctors wanted bodies after the execution. The grave was reopened during the night, and the men's bodies were split among doctors. William Worrell Mayo brought the body of one man, his name I couldn't pronounce, but translates to Stands on Clouds, also known as Cut Nose, to Le Sur, Minnesota, where he dissected it in the presence of other medical colleagues. Afterward, he had the skeleton cleaned, dried and varnished, and Mayo kept it in an iron kettle in his home office. That is disgusting. For, yeah, just the whole thing with their bodies and how they were treated not getting traditional native burial rights is one of the worst things you can do to just throw them all together. And then on top of it, having doctors come and steal their bodies. And like basically defile their bodies and the land Yeah, for their own benefit is just not just disturbing, but like vile it's pretty terrible. And in the late 20th century, the identifiable remains of Dakota men were returned by the Mayo Clinic to a Dakota tribe for reburial per the Native American Graves Protection and Repatriation Act. The acronym for that is NAGPRA. This is far from the first instance of Native people's bodies being taken, and it happened all over. Some bodies and artifacts have been sent to other countries, including there was a museum in... Germany that had native remains. It was the early 2000s. They still had them and tribes all over the place are still working through NAGPRA to try and get remains returned as well as, you know, traditional, you know, artifacts or like, um, I'm trying to think what there was. There's like turtle shell rattles that some tribes have, you know, any kind of like native Thing that was created Tools that was taken. And, yeah. yeah, there's a lot with that. And there are museums all over the place that have them because they were either taken from Native people or traded for whatever. But And I, I kind of imagine for Native people, it's a, it might be a lot like how Egyptians feel when mummies are taken and, you know, displayed in museums. That's kind of how I think of that. Like they went through that traditional burial put in a place where they thought they were going to stay there and people are going into these pyramids and just taking them out. So 
Congress abolished the Eastern Dakota and Ho-Chunk reservations in Minnesota and declared their treaties null and void. So they took their land, put them somewhere smaller, didn't pay for the land like they agreed to, were letting people starve, and then declared the treaties null and void without giving their land back or any kind of payment. They just said, this is ours now. In May 1863, the Eastern Dakota and Ho-Chunk imprisoned at Fort Snelling were exiled from Minnesota. They were transferred to Camp McClellan in Davenport, Iowa, where they were imprisoned from 1863 to 1866. And by the time of their release, one-third of the prisoners had died of disease. The survivors were either sent with their families to Nebraska or placed on riverboats and sent to a reservation in present-day South Dakota. The Ho-Chunk were also initially forced to the Crow Creek Reservation, but later moved to Nebraska near the Omaha people to form the Winnebago Reservation. In 2012 and 2013, Governor Ramsey's call for the Dakota to be exterminated or driven forever beyond the borders of the state was repudiated or rejected. Minnesota Governor Tim Waltz issued an apology on December 26, 2019 for the hangings and other acts against the Dakota people while participating in the annual Dakota 38 plus 2 memorial ride and run held at the site of the hangings. Waltz said, On behalf of the people of Minnesota and as governor, I express my deepest condolences for what happened here and our deepest apologies for what happened to the Dakota people. He also said, while we can't undo over 150 years of trauma inflicted on Native people at the hands of state government, we can work to do everything possible to ensure that Native people are seen, heard, and valued today. In 2021, the Minnesota State Legislature and the Minnesota Historical Society transferred ownership of 115 acres of land back to the Lower Sioux Indian community, including about half of the lands near the Lower Sioux agency and part of the historic site of battle. The Historical Society and the Lower Sioux Indian community have been administering the site. If you go to Mankato now, you can also see a Mankato 38 memorial at Reconciliation Park. There are also other memorials around Mankato. There's some really beautiful murals that you can see. The 38 plus 2 ride, also called the Healing Ride, continues every year the end point of a 300-mile journey by horseback. The plus two refers to the executions of two chiefs at Fort Snelling in 1864. Lower Sioux President Robert Larson said at the return of the land to the Lower Sioux Indian community, I don't know if it's ever happened before where a state gave land back to a tribe. Our ancestors paid for this land over and over with their blood, with their lives. It's not a sale. It's been paid for by the ones who aren't here anymore. That's the story of the Mankato 38. Oh, man. Sources for that was Wikipedia, usdakotawar.org, mprnews.org did a story on the Dakota Riders. Man, it's definitely super sad. It's a bummer, for sure. I mean, I'd say that I'm surprised, but unfortunately, I'm not surprised. Because every day I'm learning more and more different things that were done to natives across the nation. And it's... Trail of Tears, Wounded Knee, 
smallpox blankets. I mean, we could go on and on. It's all abhorrent. Yeah. And the saddest part of it is that could have just been avoided if the people were given the money they owed and were had food. These were desperate people in a time where they were starving. So it just... It's exactly. Upsetting. And you're just stealing their shit and then expecting them to just take it on the chin. Yeah. And then here's here's your land you get for this treaty. Uh, just kidding. So anyway. Uh, yeah. Uh, on, on the lighter side, what do you... Well, <laughs> I have 20 of what I found to be the funniest Midwestern laws. There are two honorable mentions. They're... Keeping with the theme of what you said, there were, there was a law in both North Dakota and South Dakota, same law, that I left off of here because I did not find it entertaining or funny. Oh. And it's the same type of, if there are more than five natives on your land, you have every right to kill them all. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so like, that's why I was like, mm, not funny, not putting that on here because that's gross not the funniest weirdest that's like disturbing yeah so i left those off but it's the same in both north dakota and south dakota (laughs) but i will start at number 20 and work my way up to one and then i do have my my honorable mentions i will say i have one in ohio where bathtubs were banned (laughs) what (laughs) they they banned bathtubs Because in the early 1800s, when cholera and smallpox epidemics were wiping out families across the state, authorities figured out part of the problem was the common practice of sharing bathwater among family members. So they stopped the practice by just banning bathtubs. All right. So, I mean, just like, I guess, like stand outside. Is it more like Like the water's poisoned or something? I thought that's how, I don't know. Yeah, because I mean, like back then, I guess what was happening was people would get water from their well or, you know, whatever and fill it in a tub and then they would all bathe in that tub water and then before emptying it. That's where the whole don't toss the baby out with the bathwater thing came from. I don't know if you learned this in school, but the men would get to go first, like probably the grossest one out of all of them would bathe first. And then it would be like oldest, youngest kind of thing. So the baby would be last Mm -hmm. bathing in the grossest water when really it should be the baby gets clean first. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. My other honorable mention was in Missouri. And in University City, according to Municipal Code 10.32.010, it is unlawful for any person to solicit the privilege of watching or guarding a vehicle while parked on the streets of the city. (laughs) So you cannot have somebody watch your car. It's illegal. So if you're like standing outside, I can't be like, I'm running inside. Please watch this car. Jail. (laughs) Yeah. Laws come from something happening. So I wonder what happened <laughs> just to make that a law. Yeah, those are the honorable mentions because I had 20 slots and I was like, these are still funny enough for me. That's so and weird. Gotta... <laughs> so we're going to start at number 20. And Michigan is like pretty tame in comparison to some of these other Midwestern states. <laughs> so in Michigan... Men should not seduce or corrupt unmarried women. 
If a man seduces or debauches a woman who is unmarried, he'll be guilty of a felony and can be fined no more than $2,500 or be jailed for five years. Wow. This 1931 law still states, still states that prosecution shall commence one year from the time of committing the offense. You leave those unmarried women alone and you debauch a married woman. (laughs) All respectable like. Right. Um, This one will make you giggle. In Indiana, number 19, pie is three. What? Pie. P-I. Like the math equation? Yes, Mm -hmm. (laughs) ma'am. Indiana House of Representatives argued that the value of pie should be rounded off to three. The motion was passed but is still in limbo with the state Senate as they haven't quite yet decided on it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like he's deciding <laughs> pie doesn't get any decimal points. Like, nope. Just round three, it off. 3.14 even? Nope. <laughs> just three. Nope. Just three. None of that other additives. <laughs> <laughs> no more numbers. Just three. <laughs> How did that even get? Get there in the first. Who decided to spend the time? We're like, you know what? I hate decimal points. Let's get that off a of pie. It's just confusing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Number 18, Illinois. Don't keep smelly dogs. All right. I, I liked that long blink, that, that slow, like, are you joking? Like, no. In Galesburg, Illinois. The law prohibits people from, quote unquote, keeping or maintaining any animal, poultry or fowl, because apparently birds are not animals, but I digress, poultry or fowl in such a manner to cause inconvenience or disturbance to other persons by reason of noise, odor or other cause. That's really vague. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like what constitutes smelly? Which is what made me like <laughs> laugh reading these. I'm going, are you joking right now? I wonder if the, when my dog has the fart cloud around her, like you're smelly, you're illegal. Illegal jail, ma'am. Jail. Number 17, Indiana. Monkeys mustn't smoke cigarettes. <laughs> it's very important for their health. Very important. This 1923 law was enacted after a man was caught walking down the street smoking a cigarette while his pet monkey did the same. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's something I picture in, like, a movie. The monkey smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, monkey smoking a cigarette. Not allowed. That... Because, yeah, I mean, that is animal cruelty. But... We saw that one monkey that one time. Therefore, all monkeys are not allowed to smoke. Because apparently all monkeys want to do it now. They saw that one doing it. Yeah. He was that cool monkey. He was wearing a leather jacket and on a Marlboro ad. (laughs) (laughs) In Iowa, no fortune telling. In Cedar Rapids, Iowa, clairvoyance, palmistry, phrenology, or any kind of fortune telling is prohibited within city limits. (laughs) It's of the devil. It's not allowed. It's of the devil. Oh my gosh. My mama said, my mama said, my mama said, <laughs> fortune telling is of the devil. <laughs> That's what it made me think of. Oh my gosh. Now, what's funny about 15 
Iowa, again, do not throw bricks on highways without permission. <laughs> That's the part that made me double take. It's permission. Without permission. Yeah. In Mount Vernon, Iowa, you are not to throw stones, bricks, or missiles of any kind on or into any street, alley, highway, sidewalk, public way, public ground, or public building without written permission from the city council. What city council is going to grant permission for that? Why not just say none under no circumstances? That's why I was like... They wanted to have a public stoning someday, so they kept it so the city council could give permission for said stoning (laughs) in the street. Yep. If you watched Game of Thrones, wouldn't that be like, who walks by and is, shame, 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 except with stones. This one annoyed me a little. Number 14, Minnesota, being jobless is illegal. Oh. Any person over the age of 18 and that has the ability to work but does not seek employment is considered a vagrant and is guilty of a misdemeanor. Bums. You just know an old person wrote that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. These young kids, nobody wants to work. Oh my gosh. That just, that was like, okay. <laughs> when wow. Made me like annoyed. In Missouri, number 13, no yard sales allowed. Oh man. University City, Missouri has made it illegal for any person to offer for sale any household goods in a yard or garage in front of the building line of the house or building in which the person resides. Man. So can I do it in my backyard? What have they got against yard and garage sales? Not in front of any houses. Absolutely Man, not. I love so. looking at other people's crap. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you have out here? What kind of junk do you so keep in your house for too long? Go around back? Like, I'm confused. Yeah. Like, we're having a barbecue. Entrance fee is you have to buy some of her shit. (laughs) Exactly. And then number 12. Oh, Wisconsin. You know, the cheese has to have has to be involved in in some sort of law. Why? No apple pie without cheese. What? In 1935, the state made it illegal for restaurants to serve apple pie without cheese. The pie must have the cheese. You gotta have that cheddar on the side. <laughs> gotta have that cheddar. Or it's illegal. The, late, <laughs> the law was later repealed two years later in 1937. But that one made me be like, pie, where's the cheese? <laughs> what cheese lobbyist was pushing that one through? <laughs> like, you know, Wisconsin, we're not selling enough cheese. Uh, push the cheese. Push the cheese. <laughs> Number 11, South Dakota. This one makes me giggle. Pacifists should not be threatened. South Dakota is not a good place to be a pacifist. And so the government had to outlaw the intimidation of anyone with anti-war views, including coercing them into arm wrestling (laughs) in an effort to change their views. Picture that you don't want to go to war. Give me your arm. You're <laughs> gonna wrestle. If I win, you go to war. If you win, then we'll do it again. 
Best two out of three. <laughs> oh, my God. Number 10, Ohio. You cannot make yo mama jokes in shopping centers. Just in shopping centers? Yep. In uh, Coshocton, Ohio, no one shall in the presence or hearing of another person curse or abuse the person or use any violently abusive language to the person concerning him or her or any of his male or female relatives under circumstances reasonably calculated to provoke a breach of the peace. Wow. So no, like, yeah, well, you know what? I fucked your sister. Jail. (laughs) Your mama's so fat. Jail. (laughs) You have breached the peace. You You must go to jail. Oh, God. Number nine, North Dakota. It is okay to play poker, but only twice a year. (laughs) This law applies to non-governmental organizations and charitable groups that operate in the state. So they can hold stud poker games to to raise money, but only twice a year. Unless it's, like, government funded, then, like, however much you want, you know. All right. (laughs) Yep. Number eight, Illinois. Movie titles should not mislead viewers. 1919 Chicago law states that a movie title shall either be full enough to describe in general terms the nature and character of the picture or shall be accompanied by other uh, explanatory wording, pictures, or other advertising matter. This was created to try and shield locals from films that officials deemed immoral. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> so American Pie would have been <laughs> illegal. Yeah, would not have been horrible. That's what happens to that pie. So basically, you got to explain what happens in the movie before people go see it. Mm-hmm. Huh. Number seven, Nebraska. No public ugliness. Oh, rude. Lincoln, Nebraska, enacted this law in 1989, of all times, and states any person who is diseased, maimed, mutilated, or in any way deformed, so as to be an unsightly or disgusting object, or an improper person, to be allowed in or on the streets, highways, thoroughfares, or public places in this city, shall know therein or thereon expose himself or herself to public view, under the penalty of a fine of a dollar for each offense. <laughs> wow. Who, who's who's the judge yeah. of ugliness here? Oh my gosh. <laughs> just the shocked look on my face the whole time you were reading that. Yeah, I looked over. I could just see oh. your face, your jaw on the floor. Yeah. Holy shit. Like, what are you... <laughs> What do you say to that? Like, like, you've what? been horribly <laughs> maimed. Uh, stay out of public eye. You're not allowed. Yikes. Yikes is right. Number six, Missouri. The bachelor tax. Missouri legislature enacted a law in 1820 that required all single men between the ages of 21 and 50 to pay an annual $1 tax to the state government. Historically, these ordinances would be put in place as part of a moral panic 
due to the important status given to marriage at various times and places. Back then, a dollar would be equal to today's $20. Oh, my gosh. Single, pay a dollar. That's crazy. Get you a wife. (laughs) Well, to be honest, that's kind of how taxes still are. If you're single, you kind of have less responsibility. I don't know if they want to call it that, but people that are single basically pay more in tax than people that are married. Yeah. And if you have kids, even more so. Yeah, married and kids. It's just crazy to me. Number five, Minnesota. In Minnetonka, Minnesota, there is a rule that states a truck or other vehicle whose wheels or tires deposit mud, dirty, sticky substances, litter, or other material on any street or highway will be declared a public nuisance affecting public peace, safety, and general welfare. So uh, clean your tires, because if you deposit mud on the streets, you're a nuisance. (laughs) Or if garbage goes flying out of the back of your truck. It happens all the time around here, honestly. That makes sense. You'll be going down the highway and somebody will have uh, stuff flying out of the back. Right. That would make sense. Yeah. This law is just strictly <laughs> just muddy um, t- for tires. <laughs> muddy tires. If your tires deposit anything, if dirty, no dirty tires. And what, what year did you say that was? Uh, it did not say. It did not say. Yeah. I'm wondering if this is, you know, like when it was basically two tracks everywhere and before we had the roads we have now, I imagine there would be a lot of dirt just everywhere until you yeah. come to a rainy cobblestone street. Yeah. Yeah. Number four, Kansas. No cherry pie a la mode on Sundays. I don't understand it. Topeka restaurants are not allowed to serve cherry pie with vanilla ice cream on top on Sundays. A cherry's immoral and I just don't know about it. I'm so confused. <laughs> so confused. Can you serve it without the ice cream? Like what makes it? Yeah. Is were they mixing alcohol into their cherry pies? I don't. That's I don't a get good it. question. That's the only thing I can think of is if they're like, this cherry pie needs some brandy. I don't know. If someone knows, tell us. I have no idea. Number three, Nebraska. As as someone being in um, cosmetology school, this one gave me a chuckle. Barbers shall not eat onions between 7 a.m. and 12 a.m. In Waterloo, Nebraska, um, they enacted this law in 1910, likely due to people not wanting barbers with smelly breath being so close to them during their haircuts. <laughs> I mean, I guess I can understand. I get it. <laughs> no onions allowed. Oh, oh my goodness. Now, the top two. <laughs> Number two, Illinois. It's pronounced Joliet. And you are to say it right. The founding fathers of Joliet were sick and tired of visitors mispronouncing the city's name as Joliet. They issued an edict prohibiting people from mispronouncing the name, which is punishable by a $5 fine. (laughs) Wow. Say it right. (laughs) Did they spell it out phonetically on the sign on the way into town? Because (laughs) visitors may not know. It's, It's... it's like Juliet, but with an O. So J-O-L-I-E-T. But people were saying Joliet instead of Joliet, which wow. not allowed. 
Somebody <laughs> was mad who was related to the person that named the town, I guess. Had to be. Had to be. And number one, both irritating and ridiculous, Indiana. Yeah, yeah, one. Congratulations. Here's a little clap for you. Because you can opt out of a dependent's medical care by praying for them. What? If you fail to take care of your dependent child's medical care, it is a class six felony. However, if you can prove in a court of law that you provided treatment by spiritual means through um, prayer, the court shall allow that defense. Right. <laughs> yeah. Hence the irritation. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, no, I prayed. I, I prayed for little Susie. Um, oh, did you? Okay. Go right on. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Uh, that is so confusing. Otherwise, it's a class six felony if you don't pray. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, Midwest. Got some doozies. Yeah. But we all needed that little uh, laugh and head shake at the end of Midwest <laughs> March Madness. Yeah. Which was pretty uh, depressing and dark. A little bit. A little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for listening, everybody. You be safe out there. And watch out for the crazies. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. The music titled Teller of the Tales was provided by Kevin McLeod and can be found at incomptech.filmmusic.io.